0: Welcome to Crossing Cultures. I am Sebas, your host from the Netherlands. In this podcast, I talk to people from all over the world about our countries and cultures in order to get a better understanding of each other's way of life. Okay, we have started. where? Hi guys, here I am again, Sebas from the Netherlands, from Tilburg again. Uh, This is the sixth episode of Crossing Cultures and today I have in front of me Omer from Sudan. Hello. Hello Omer, welcome. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Uh, How are you, first of all? I'm alright, how are you? I'm perfect, I'm happy that I have my first guest from the African continent. (laughs) i'm glad yeah because i think africa as a continent has 51 countries
1: sounds Mm. about right
0: sounds about right (laughs) (laughs) i thought it's 51 and that means that there's a lot of countries to discuss so many cultures so So many many different cultures cultures. definitely uh yeah and often people forget that i think definitely africa is not one country But one continent. Mm -hmm. And today we're starting uh, off with Sudan, which is where you are from.
1: Yes. Right? Yes. (laughs) Or yeah. you were hesitating? (laughs) No, uh, I am from Sudan, but I was born and raised in Saudi Arabia. Oh, really? Yeah. uh, I lived most of my life there. But of course, in terms of nationality, in terms of background, in terms of culture, I am Sudanese. And I'm proud of that. Uh, what did you experience then from the Sudan culture? I think there's there is definitely a little bit of commonality between Saudi Arabian culture and Sudanese culture. They're um, both predominantly Arab, for example, Yes. predominantly Muslim. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of also common values, common cultural aspects.
0: I think that's already a very interesting thing because I don't think people associate
1: the arab world easily with the african world yeah definitely it's uh it's it's very interesting because one of the first things uh you asked me to think about before coming in today was uh things that people should know about sudan and i think one of the most important things is to realize that sudan is at a a sort of a crossroads between all the, all different places, between Africa, the Arab world, and people tend to forget that the Arab world isn't just the Arabian Peninsula, but also it's North Africa, extending all the way to Morocco and other parts of Africa too, that are also Arab or predominantly Arab. So,
0: So, so generally speaking, the northern parts of Africa is Arab?
1: Predominantly Arab, yes.
0: And also Sudan. Also, also Sudan.
1: Sudan. Uh, you could also uh, include Somalia, for example, mm-hmm. uh, as part of the Arab world. If, I, if But Be- of course, uh, I'm not Somali, so I, this is not uh, no, yeah. something that I can uh, go into. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you look into an, uh, a map of the Arab world, it includes everything from Morocco, Algeria, Tunisia, Egypt, Sudan... Uh, in certain maps Somalia, Comoros, Djibouti. All right. Yeah, so there's the Horn of Africa has a also uh, can also be considered part of the Arab world. So being Arab is not necessarily just being from the peninsula, but being Arab is a very broad and complex identity that isn't necessarily tied to your continent, to your language, to your religion, to any of these other things. So being Arab is a very complex thing.
0: It transcends um
1: geography. territory. Yeah, territory geography, definitely.
0: Yeah. yeah, interesting. Because uh Sudan is located north in the northeast of Africa, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. So in terms of situation, it's right under Egypt, right above Ethiopia and South Sudan, uh also bordering Libya, Chad and maybe something else. Uh south sudan south sudan yeah yeah, yeah th-
0: because yeah. Th- that's already an interesting point i found out doing research
1: yeah um that there's a south sudan yes as of just over a decade ago or a decade ago now yeah, yeah. uh
0: so you were first uh together yeah and that's so at that point sudan was also the biggest country of yes, africa. In africa yeah in terms or, of like land area in, in exactly yeah um why did they split up?
1: That is a very complicated okay. question. <laughs> and the there is no short answer, but it's definitely a lot of um, political, social, cultural differences that ended up working out better for two countries to have independence, to have their own agency, uh, to have their own sort of... Uh, independence, in every Mm. sense of the way, really. Because it it, it happened after a civil war, right? Yeah, yeah. for most of Sudan's history, actually, we were in a period of civil war with different factions, different uh, regions, including uh, in the south and in the east and the west. So uh, Sudan's history has, uh, you can say, has always been a little turbulent. And that resulted... In uh, later on, the South deciding to uh, seek independence and then gaining independence fully in 2011, I believe.
0: All right. Yeah. Be- uh, I read that it's also partly due to r- religious conflict. Yeah. Um, so that would mean that the North globally is more Islamic mm-hmm. and the South is more, well, what is now South Sudan, is more Christian. Definitely, is, is definitely. Is that correct?
1: Uh, Like I said, it's a very complex issue and it also has uh, an ethnic and a religious aspect of it also. Because again, the North is predominantly uh, Muslim and predominantly Arab, quote-unquote. And then the South is predominantly uh, Christian and they identify differently from the Arab identity. So uh, it's definitely a question of a a clash of, let's say, uh, identities that was most most efficiently resolved by seeking independence
0: okay, so you would say everyone is better off right now
1: um uh, yeah i i would i i mean i can't speak on behalf of my brothers and sisters in South sudan but um i think in the end h- obtaining their own agency and obtaining their own right to choose and self determination these are all very important aspects of your identity as uh, a national or as a citizen. So now gaining that independence and giving that and getting that agency, uh, if it's important uh, enough for it to have actually happened, I'm hoping that uh, everyone's better off with it. Okay. Yeah. Sounds good then.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, you are, f- where are you, what city are you from precisely?
1: So... Like I said, I was born and raised in Saudi Arabia. I was born and, and lived most of my life in the coastal city of Jeddah. So that's on the Red Sea coast. All right. Right across the Red Sea from Port Sudan. Uh, it's, uh, in so Sudan. it's actually very close. It's very close. Uh, it's Every year I'd go home for the summers and it would be a one-hour flight, a one-hour, 20-minute one hour, flight. So... Uh, yeah. And did, did you go there uh, or did your parents go there uh, and you moved with them? Yeah. yeah. So um both of my parents moved to Saudi Arabia to look for work. Okay. And that's and a common is, thing to do? Yeah, I would say that there is a pretty sizable Sudanese diaspora in the Gulf, um really abroad. I think that's pretty common for a lot of for a lot of countries especially um in post-colonial times, that you have a diaspora looking for better opportunities abroad. And there at least was a sizable diaspora in Saudi Arabia also seeking work. So my parents were two uh, members of that community, and they immigrated uh, to Saudi Arabia long before I was born. Okay. And I was born there along with my sisters, and we lived there for most of our lives.
0: And... Um, you return to Sudan every summer?
1: Yeah, kind so of? we made it a point to return to Sudan every summer, uh, more often if we could, but of course it depended on school holidays and work holidays and all these different things. So we'd go home every summer for about a month or two. And, and you, s-
0: you call it home?
1: Yeah, it, it's it's interesting that I do call it home. Yeah, it's, uh, that's definitely... I mean, home is uh, at least... You can also say that home is where family is and where you kind of really truly belong at the end of the day. So for me, Sudan is always home and Saudi Arabia also is home or was home. So, but in at the end of the day, if I have nowhere else to go, uh, Sudan is the only place that'll welcome me with open arms. So, nice. yeah, we'd go every summer, spend two months. And during that time, you see the entire extended family and then say your goodbyes and say see you next year. Nice. Yeah.
0: <laughs> okay, so and that means your parents are also still living in Saudi Arabia?
1: Uh no. So we left Saudi Arabia uh in twenty twenty. So yeah, in this early part of twenty twenty, right before. Or right before corona really hit everything. And is that timeline correct? Yes, I think so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, these past two years have been a blur, honestly. But uh, <laughs> I recognize that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so we moved back to Sudan from Saudi Arabia. Yeah.
0: Okay. Nice. And uh, then, where, if you were in
1: Sudan, where did you go? I actually never left the capital, Khartoum. Okay. Yeah, and that's something that I'm actually slightly ashamed of that why there's so much more to sudan than the capital and
0: i read that the whole northern part is like desert so it's inhabitable
1: to a certain extent yeah i mean yeah yeah.
0: because sudan has the nile yeah i read also yeah (laughs) Yeah, i did my research (laughs) i'm glad (laughs) glad, uh, it's the only two countries in the world that
1: uh, have the Nile, so yeah, to say, yeah, so no, next to Egypt. Yeah, it's uh, and be to add to that, actually, the Nile starts in Sudan. Starts because the basically the two tributaries of the Nile, the White Nile and the Blue Nile, they meet in Khartoum, right in the middle of the city, and then from there it forms the River Nile that flows up uh, north into Egypt.
0: That's why, uh, Khartoum. How do I say? Mm -hmm. Khartoum Mm -hmm. is such a fertile
1: ground, right? Definitely, yeah, because it has three rivers meeting into it, feeding feeding into it. So the whole area along the three Niles uh, is pretty fertile. And from there, you can see a lot of the agriculture is based there. And then definitely the more north you go, the more arid it can get, because also that's kind of where the Sahara starts to open up. This is all a very sub-Saharan arid region. So, but you haven't been there? No, I haven't <laughs> been to a lot of it. Yeah, I've never left the city, the capital city. But to be fair, the capital city is actually three in one. And that's a pretty interesting thing to think about. Tell be- me. Because um, the capital city, when with the two Niles meeting, there's kind of three sections if you think about it. And each of them is a little mini city or a town. And together they form the capital. So, to my credit, I've technically been to three. <laughs> <laughs>
0: All right, <Yeah>. Duly noted. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, why are you ashamed of the fact that you never left it? Because does it mean that um,
1: Sudan has much more richness in the definitely, definitely nature? I think also. Yeah, nature and just in uh, artifacts, culture. There's definitely so much more to see than in the confines of the city because the, the city is also. I mean, there is plenty to see there and plenty of culture and plenty of history in the capital city because that's the main sort of metropolis of of the country. But there's so much more that you can learn from outside. And one of the things that really fascinates me that to this day I'm still annoyed that I haven't gone to see was to see the pyramids because uh, this is also an an interesting fact and Sudan has pyramids. And, and I believe even more than Egypt. Yes, more pyramids than Egypt, and I haven't seen a single one.
0: Oh my God! Yeah. So. Oh my God! <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah, and it's not even that far away. And I mean, previously, at least um, in in the past, it wasn't always safe to leave the to leave the capital, or it wasn't always recommended to leave the capital for a variety of reasons, either political or uh, there were concerns about road safety, about everything. So in the past, you could say that I didn't have the opportunity to go, for example, to see the pyramids because I just couldn't. It's
0: a legit excuse.
1: Yeah, let's say. (laughs) But now it's definitely gone a lot better. There's a lot more opportunity. There's a lot more infrastructure being built around the pyramids and around the area of the pyramids. It's called meadowy
0: okay yeah. Yeah. yeah i've also read it it's uh it's definitely one of those things no one knows about sudan yeah but it's uh it's definitely worth knowing
1: <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah definitely. worth visiting i can imagine yeah it's uh, it's it's still it's still something that i think of that i've only seen pictures of the pyramids like these hundreds and hundreds of pyramids that are in my country and just a few hours driving away that yeah, that I, I, and I've been going every year of my life to yeah. this country and I haven't even had the chance to see this yet, so...
0: Well, you will probably see them, in, I ho- at least I hope so for you. Hopefully soon, yeah. Because you're returning, uh,
1: yeah, Yeah, you, you return regularly, right? I just right? came back from there, and even when I just came back, I came back a week ago from Sudan and I didn't get to go. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, and it's, yeah. It, when What's even funnier is our neighbors... Um, they work at the museum in Sudan, and this is, uh, and they they were going on a trip there, and they and that just bothered me even more that everyone else seemed to be going, yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't even go. Still, so I'll make it a point at some point in my life. It's probably one of the number one things on my bucket list. Yeah, to go well, home and see the pyramids for God's sake. Yeah.
0: Well, I think this is a, a common frustration of of people inhabiting some region that has a lot of uh touristic spots Mm -hmm. because often those things that are closest to you you don't visit right because they're so close so you take them for granted basically definitely definitely well you see all the tourists coming to your country to see those things or to see for example i'm living in the town Zundert in the netherlands and we have the birth house of vincent van gogh the painter so he was born there but I never go there you know never go to that museum but at the same time tourists come visit and and sightseeing you know and make yeah. pictures because for them it's so special and I, sh- and I take it for granted easily whereas I shouldn't do that but that's
1: I think it's a common thing definitely right? definitely yeah I've it's definitely something that I've thought about every year that uh even when I ask my parents or ask my family members to go and they don't think it's such a big deal cuz They also take it for granted that like, yeah, let the tourists go see that. There's no need for you to see that. Well, no, I kind of wanna see what's going on in my country. What what's yeah. Definitely. Yeah. So there's that and there's also definitely a lot of natural um natural beauty and because yes, there's also you can say that a lot of the country is desert, but there's also quite a bit of it that's savannas that you can go on a safari, for example. And that's something that I've always wanted to do, uh, go see the animals and uh, experience sort of the African savannah. And there's also much more fertile areas in the south, sort of also along the border with South Sudan and in the east and the west, where are, are sort of agricultural hubs that also have beautiful, beautiful landscapes with mountains and hills and greenery that you wouldn't also expect from Sudan. Because also the idea that people have of Sudan is also this desert landscape with nothing growing and nothing living.
0: True. Yeah, and to a certain extent... That's also the people, the general pe- uh, image people have from Africa as a continent, Yeah, right? definitely. Of Which this is not true at all. Yeah, yeah,
1: of this sort of starved, arid, um, very sort of, yeah, backwater yeah. continent. And yeah. yeah, some
0: dead continent. Yeah. Um, whereas um no i was wondering what kind of city is khartoum then it's quite a big city i saw some pictures yeah and it's it's not it doesn't match the image we or we
1: i would say western point of view here uh, is from africa yeah it's 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 huge i mean i don't remember the exact population stats but i'm pretty sure it's many times bigger than amsterdam for example (laughs) (laughs) Amsterdam has 850,000 inhabitants. Yeah. That's That's not even a million. (laughs) (laughs) So it's definitely a a huge city. And like I said earlier, it's composed of three sort of sub-cities. So there's Khartoum, there's Umdurman, which is the old town, and there's Bahri or Khartoum North, which is... And the three of them kind of make a tri-state capital. And each of them are very distinct. And you go... you go to each of them for very distinct things. So, uh. Well, it's a very uh, economical hub as well. Or it's not? definitely the economic hub of the, of the country. It's the largest city. It's kind of where everything sort of meets. Uh. Of course, it's also the seat of government, like the federal government. Yeah. It's uh. because it's the capital, it's where all the diplomatic missions are. So, it's definitely sort of the center of Sudan. And you can going down the street and you can you you can you you can kind of tell that it's very busy and it's very lively. It's not one of those countries that or one of those cities is just it's it's dead and dry and sad or no. It, no. it that's that's maybe the impression that some people have, but it's a very busy, bustling metropolis of an African city, so
0: yeah. Exactly. Well, I really want to go, now now that you told all this. Um, Speaking of the government, um, I cannot really uh, let that go. You had a a dictator for quite some time, (laughs) 30 years. 30 years, (laughs) yeah.
1: Uh, Did you experience anything from that? It's, I mean, personally, because I've I've had, let's say, a, a limited interaction with being home over the last 22 years of my life having a monthly a month or two a year that doesn't add, add up to much interaction time or much sort of contact let's say uh but you can definitely see the effect of effect of the dictatorship and effect of the political system on my parents my grandparents and even uh my family members that are currently in sudan so Definitely, you can see that even being away from home, being away from home is also a product of the fact that the country itself has didn't have opportunities in the same way. It didn't couldn't offer opportunities to my parents, for example. It couldn't off- offer the same level of infrastructure. Or Was the
0: dictatorship the reason your parents left?
1: I don't think I can attribute it to that directly. Okay. Because. The dictatorship started in seventy nine, if I'm if I'm correct, uh, seventy nine or eighty. Yeah. So at that point, my parents were pretty young. It's not uh, they weren't let's say adults ready to go on and take on the world. And by the time they were adults, it. I I guess the dictatorship had already taken hold of the institutions and probably done a run amuck with everything in the country. So, uh, I think. The fact that that our political system was that way was definitely one of the factors that influenced their decision to seek opportunities abroad, and it's one of the reasons that it, that you can also see how it affected uh, the people who didn't have that same opportunity who ended up staying. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And what because the dictator was called Omar al Bashir.
1: Omar al Bashir. Yes. Omar al Bashir. Yeah. Um
0: and he was also i think one of the driving factors behind the darfur war is that correct or Def- yeah so he cuz that's that's the
1: defining war for your country right one of yeah one of the defining conflicts of 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 sudan yeah and omar al bashir is definitely a a character to say the least and uh, one of the one of the main things to point out whenever you you, you mention him, is that he's wanted by the International Criminal Court over multiple counts of war crimes, genocide, crimes against humanity, is he and the so run? on. He is not on the run at the moment. He was arrested when uh, we had a revolution two years ago, and the revolution ousted the regime of al-Bashir. And since then, he's been arrested, and he's facing trial in Sudan, under different charges, but at the same time, he is still wanted by the International Criminal Court to face uh, justice for what happened in Darfur.
0: Okay, so he's now under trial by by the Sudan government by Sur- the Sudanese judiciary, the yes. Judiciary. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but also, the International Criminal Court
1: is still. It, they have something to say too. <laughs> <laughs> they, have, they have a bone to pick with him. <laughs> like yeah. Yeah.
0: Exactly. So uh, no. He's not done yet, definitely.
1: Definitely, yeah. Uh,
0: Well, that also relates, I think, to you personally, since you also studied law, right? Yeah. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I also thought I saw something that you were doing an internship at the criminal court, or so. so?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's definitely interesting to see all of these developments a little Bashir, because my background is in law, and I am. Specializing in international criminal law And transitional justice So what's happening in Sudan right now Is very much the focus of my studies And my professional ambitions and so on Exactly Yeah, and I interned in The Hague At the International Residual Mechanism for Criminal Tribunals Which is basically the leftover body From the, co- the, the tribunal for the former Yugoslavia and Rwanda Okay So it was definitely interesting to see how justice was delivered in the context of those two conflicts also and learning the challenges and opportunities and how they can be brought over to Sudan to my country because there's definitely a lot of similarities and a lot of a lot of tensions and a lot of challenges and opportunities that are the same but things that are also contextually very unique to Sudan
0: yeah and um because it's like the International criminal tribunals part.
1: Do they all reside in The Hague, in the Netherlands? Well, the International Criminal Court and the residual mechanism uh, is seated in The Hague, and the mechanism has a branch in The Hague and in Arusha, in Tanzania, and that branch handles uh, the Rwanda cases mostly. But The Hague is interesting because it also uh, hosts the Special Tribunal for Lebanon. And the Kosovo Special Prosecutor and Specialist Chambers. So, The Hague is definitely a hot spot for international criminal law. Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
0: is, is it, um, I'm wondering, is it also the reason you wanted to come to the Netherlands? Or has this <laughs> just uh, developed
1: in this way? At the time, I did not think I would be going into this specific track okay. of law. Um, I think I came... To the Netherlands, I didn't come to the Netherlands with that in mind specifically, but I did appreciate the fact that The Hague was a very lively diplomatic city. I mean, it's nicknamed the city of peace and justice, and I think that appealed to me. Uh, The peace and justice very broadly appealed to me before I realized that I specifically wanted to go into international criminal law and transitional justice.
0: Yeah. Because when did you arrive in the Netherlands? 2017. 2017. 2017 Ooh, okay so that's already four years now
1: yeah and um how is it for you it's interesting it's uh, <laughs> it's uh interesting is uh, i mean have you used that word yeah but yeah, yeah. it's i don't mean that in a negative no, or no, in no. a very ambiguous Did you way
0: experience a culture shock
1: no not necessarily no. i mean uh you would expect that but I. Had i don't know would i you could expect that coming from if you if you thought that, um, yeah, coming from a different continent, or coming from a different culture entirely. But I've ha- also had the opportunity, or the privilege, let's say, to grow up in a more international environment. So, in Saudi Arabia. In Saudi Arabia. So, uh, over there, it's uh, despite what uh, what also let's say conventional media thinks of the country. Mm-hmm. uh there is an opportunity to have more international c- exposure and i've had the opportunity to have that cuz you so, went to an international
0: school yeah okay. yeah
1: so i went to an international private school and obviously then you are surrounded by different cultures yeah. and next thing you know transitioning from there to the netherlands was a step but not as not as far of a leap let's say for others I so get it.
0: yeah Okay. Um uh, were there some things that struck you uh here in the Netherlands or didn't you have like any single <laughs> cultural differences?
1: Well, the first thing that struck me was and I think uh, maybe others have, will reiterate this is the weather. Yeah. It's always a struggle and I'm I've been here 4 years and I'm still not used to it. <laughs> it's uh, yeah. Yeah, is it really it that bad? It, it's not that it's bad it's just so gloomy sometimes <laughs> and so like today yeah 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 and it's just so hectic and there's no and cold and yeah. humid and wet that's the one <laughs> keyword just wet and then <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah so yeah. it's it's definitely a difference from bright and sunny saudi arabia or sudan where but it's
0: also nice right not to burn in the sun constantly well yeah that's
1: that's definitely something but i mean there's also a point to make that back home and i mean both homes in in this context we have air conditioning so no one really goes outside oh yeah so burning in the sun is something that well yeah if you unless you're working for example and you have a, a job outside in the sun then yeah, you will struggle, but um, because
0: what kind of temperatures are we talking about in Saudi Arabia or Sudan? Well, it, it, I it's just the same climate, right?
1: More or less, yeah. yeah. And uh, well, let's say, Jeddah is a bit different because it's coastal and it's more temperate. Let's say, mm-hmm. but both are very, very hot. I mean, I was home now, and for the fall, and this is the fall season in Sudan, and it was forty degrees in the daytime, and that is considered a nice day or well hot but not that bad because in the peak summertime you could easily hit 45 and more yeah. and yeah and that's that's no fun <laughs> no yeah and then in the winter time it does cool off a bit but I've never really seen it go down below 20 or 15 let's say nice and even then it's uh, interesting to see that because when it does go down to that you'd see people going out in their winter jackets and just no way yeah be freezing really f- uh, because they think that's that's ridiculous and then wow. here on a 15 degree day you'd still see people going out in their shorts yeah and that to, the, to me is still mind boggling
0: yeah yeah and is it also the case uh that some people in sudan for example have never seen snow
1: Maybe, yeah, probably. Or does it snow? I don't think it snows because I don't think we have anywhere that has high enough elevation for it to snow. And it doesn't normally get cold enough for it to snow, normally, for example, in the capital or any of the major cities. So I haven't heard of snow falling in Sudan in my lifetime. But. Had you seen
0: it before coming to the Netherlands? No. So often you hear no,
1: not natural snow, no, only a- artificial snow. Artificial snow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, w- where do you see artificial snow? In um, in Dubai, there's a uh, yeah. Ski Dubai is a popular. Everything is popular possible in Dubai, Everything now. is possible in Dubai. You can have snow in the desert. You can have <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you can, you, yeah. It
0: makes all your dreams come
1: true. Exactly. Yeah. There's a s- a ski resort there. Ah uh, yeah. In, in one of the shopping malls, and that was. I think I went there as a child and I remember the cold and I hated it. And okay. then coming here. <laughs> well, then why did
0: you choose the Netherlands? That
1: <laughs> I ask myself that every day. <laughs> every day. Because I tell you, my first year here was, uh, there was a code red snowstorm. Oh. Yeah. And that was, I remember going to university and it snowed so hard. And I took the bus to university not knowing that people here freak out sometimes with snow and close everything down and declare a code red because I thought people here were used to it. So I went to university. Well, this is exceptional though. Yeah, I, I mean, I, yeah. at that point it was my first year. I didn't uh-huh. know any better. So everything shut down. I had an exam that day. I went to university, went to the actual exam session and then it just got canceled. So I spent the rest of the day enjoying the snow, having the time of my life and then going back they had canceled all the buses and stuff and I had to walk all the way from university to the other side of Tilburg and that is the day that is my that was my first full day in snow and also my last full day in snow <laughs> <laughs> because <laughs> I Since could then not
0: you've been checking the weather forecast whether yeah is, and so. if it
1: snows I'm not going outside <laughs> okay
0: oh so okay I thought you would maybe kind of develop like a more loving relationship with the snow but in so far, it hasn't happened.
1: It's. I mean, it's. It's pretty when it's falling down. It's beautiful. It's very, s- sort of picturesque, but it's so cold. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's snow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's not the. That's n- That's the least fun part. That it's so cold. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, I get it. Yeah.
0: Uh. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. What are um? Are there things that you like more
1: about the Netherlands? as a country
0: or maybe Europe in general I don't know
1: I think well going fr- to Europe in general and then maybe narrowing down I think one of the things that drew me to coming to the Netherlands was the ability to sort of explore and have everything accessible because it's it's still very interesting to me that you can drive for a half an hour and be in a different country mm. and here so because back home if you drive for half an hour you're still in the city so (laughs) you're just in a different neighborhood so i at least before the pandemic sort of hit i think i took that opportunity to kind of explore as much as i can and go see the neighboring countries go see europe and really explore the schengen area let's say and really enjoy that freedom of movement yeah exactly yeah
0: yeah it's uh it's a special thing every time uh, people, non-European citizens tell me uh, how unique it is that you can travel from one country to the other without having to show your passport yeah. or your ID. And you know? it's also
1: just very affordable with all the different airlines and so many different modes of transport and the trains and buses and yeah. planes everywhere. You, you can you can sort of book yourself to go to, to the other side of Europe for 15 euros. Yeah. And that to me was one of the main... Um, one of the main pluses when I when I thought yeah. of coming here was being able to explore on a budget as a student.
0: Yeah, yeah and exactly uh, um, that. And I think nowadays it's like the train, like the the railroads have improved. The train infrastructure has also improved, so it's very easy and accessible to get from the Netherlands, for example, or like the. I think there is a railroad infrastructure from capital to capital you know Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's a famous kind of trip it's called inter railing Mm -hmm. i've heard of this yeah uh i haven't done it myself yet but i'm really planning on doing it in the near future yeah yeah. because it's cheap climate neutral and uh yeah i think it's the future yeah And and it's yeah it's i think i'm not sure about other continents how the the train infrastructure is developed there. I don't know how it is in Sudan, for example.
1: Uh, public transport in Sudan is very interesting because there's a lot of infrastructure that's there that was left over from colonial times and post-colonial times that was that sort of wasted away, especially during the dictatorship period. And this was a period, of course, with high levels of corruption and mismanagement of state institutions and state funds and all of this. So... Historically, there was a rail line from Khartoum that went all the way up uh, into Egypt even, into Aswan, the dam there, and continued. So this was something that um, a lot of people are very, were very proud of, having a rail line that connected all the way up into the north. And it was very important back in the day for industry, for raw materials and so on. And during this 30 year period of decay let's say that infrastructure was very much left in shambles so now there's very limited train transport in sudan uh recent in recent times there has been sort of a push for reinvestment and uh, d- redeveloping these institutions and these infrastructures so there isn't now a new train line a new passenger train. I'm not sure how far it goes. I, I don't think it really goes all the way up north like it used to, but it connects some major cities, some main cities. And people are still very proud of that, but it's not it's definitely not as giant of a rail hub as as it used to be or it doesn't have the same expansive network that you see here in Europe for example. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah I think Europe is quite far ahead. Well,
1: yeah, it that, yeah. makes
0: sense, obviously, looking to history. Mm-hmm. Um, Omar, I wanted to talk to you about Sudan culture. Mm-hmm. Are there some elements in Sudan culture that you think are quite characteristic for Sudan people or Sudan culture?
1: I think uh, I would be very... I'd be wary of describing a single Sudanese culture because, of course... With a country as big as Sudan and as expansive as Sudan, there isn't a single sort of mainstream, quote unquote, culture, Sudanese culture, because as a country we have hundreds of tribes and hundreds of languages, so many different intersection, intersecting cultures, and they each have their own languages, artifacts, clothing, food, all of that. So. I think that's one thing that's very characteristic yeah. of Sudan, and I think also very characteristic of a lot of uh, African countries. Um, that
0: that there is no one tribe that has in power or that is
1: like ruling, or maybe that is the case. Well, you can definitely. Y- there's definitely a point to make that there are certain factions or certain um, tribes, let's say certain groups that are more dominant and. In, in, Sudan, especially in the north and but that you, but you could also say that that has come at the expense of a lot of our diversity, and that is also we can say a problem with Sudan and a problem with a lot of other countries in Africa that have the same sort of dynamic that when there comes one dominant group, let's say, and they're a dominant culture, it has come at the expense of a lot of marginalized communities that are also incredibly unique and incredibly valuable. So in the case of Sudan, there's definitely a certain um dynamic between quote unquote Arab tribes and non Arab tribes and this is this is of course a very complex and sensitive sort yeah. of identity and, and issue.
0: Much more nuanced.
1: Probably, much more nuanced than reality. how I can describe it, of course. So uh you can you can kind of tell that there are certain Arab um groups or Arabized groups let's say that sort of have a hold over the mainstream culture let's say Mm -hmm. and that has led to a lot of difficulty in terms of intercultural communication and tolerance and stuff between other marginalized groups and other groups in the country and yeah that that's that's it's unfortunate but hopefully it's something that as a country we can move forward from
0: yeah and um, like you said yourself it's progressing right
1: it's progressing it's uh, very slowly but it is because of course it's very difficult to move on from 30 years of neglect and authoritarianism and let's say um uh, marginalization and all these things it's very difficult to move from to move on from that in a, a period of a year or two since the revolution let's say and there's still a lot of very deep cultural and social issues that need to be addressed in terms of tolerance in terms of uh, intercultural trust and community building so it's a challenge but it's nice to see that at least when it comes to the younger generations when when it comes to the people who are leading on the revolution right now who are trying to b- tackle these issues that they have an understanding that sudan isn't one group or isn't one identity it's yeah incredibly complex the
0: borders have been drawn like randomly yeah. over africa across africa yeah um so like it kind of split up those tribes mm-hmm. or groups um if you like definitely uh, that's actually like you, like you said, it's a common phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Phenomenon that happens all across Africa and also in the Middle East. That's it's, it's uh, tribes that were living there, and they kind of got, like I said, split up mm-hmm. uh, after the decolonization. Mm-hmm. So the Western con- countries decided to just draw random lines mm-hmm.
1: across the continent. And that didn't necessarily respect tribal, ethnic, or anything. Not at all, in terms right? In social boundaries, and yeah, and uh, you can you can say that Sudan uh, was a victim of that to a certain extent uh, because uh, Sudan was a colony of the Uni- of United Kingdom of the United Kingdom. So, to a certain extent, that's true. Um, but beyond that the beyond the sort of postcolonial critique there's also a social and political um issue that needs to be tackled in terms of the politics in Khartoum in the capital in terms of the mindset of this dominant group and how they choose to interact with the other countrymen from a different group or from a different identity mm. yeah
0: would it make more sense to look at the continent Africa more in terms of groups or ethnical groups, then instead of citizens of a country,
1: to a certain extent maybe, uh, because identity is often a very conflicted concept. It's very like it's a, a very complex and nuanced issue, and it really comes down to the individual or group concerned. Super subjective. Yeah, it's very subjective, like you said, and. You can have someone who identifies with the country very much and has very national or patriotic sentiments, and then other people who are very much proud of who they are in terms of their group, in terms of their tribe, in terms of their language, in terms of their. in terms of any other facet of their identity. So I think when it comes to viewing Africa, one of the main things that we discussed in the beginning was not to view it as a monolith and to respect that identity, that that an African identity has multiple levels and each level stems from a different thing. There's tribal identity, ethnic identity, religious identity, national identity, and all of them intersect and form a person.
0: Like the European identity.
1: Yeah, Uh, and I think yeah, it's interesting to see that at least over here, people also have and make, can easily make that distinction, can easily differentiate between a person who's uh who's Dutch but also from Brabant but also from Tilburg, but yeah. also is let's say from this group or that group. But do you think such a thing as an African
0: identity exists? Well, do, do you feel it, for example
1: there is a there's a there is definitely African solidarity. And there is definitely a Pan African movement that was, was is very lively and very much uh, present across Africa, because some of the challenges are common, some of the opportunities are common. There's a lot of things that can be attributed to similar, let's say, colonial issues, or similar issues of authoritarianism and political uh, corruption, political indifference, what have you. So, in terms of that, you can forge an African identity because, in the end, there is that sense of solidarity. There is that sort of union across our African brothers and sisters. That exists. That, that exists. That, To a certain level, it exists. Mm-hmm. But it also shouldn't come at the expense of your personal identity or exactly. your national identity. And that's something that um, a lot of people... Uh, try to differentiate and try to make very clear that i am african but i'm also sudanese but i'm also of this tribe but i'm also of this so the intersectionality between all these different facets is important it's just as important as sort of the big picture idea that you are african and i am african
0: yeah yeah i agree yeah for, for example i also feel dutch and i also feel like a Brabander. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the same time, I feel more and more as a European. Yeah. And even so, as well, maybe like uh, a global citizen. You yeah. Know? yeah. Um, but it, like you said, it has multiple levels. Yeah. My identity consists of multiple levels.
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And each of them contributes to who you are in different ways. So uh, as soon as someone erases one or condenses all these levels into... You are an African, you behave this way, or you act this way. It takes away a lot of the identity that other people seem to enjoy just very straightforwardly or very easily. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Nicely put. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Really. Thank you. Um, I think um, we kind of discussed everything. Um, We're never done talking, obviously. (laughs) Um, is there something you want to add, maybe? Uh,
1: something you can go... I I prepared so much yeah, to talk well, about today. And maybe we didn't talk
0: about the stereotypes yet. Th- I can imagine there are certain stereotypes also amongst Africans, you know? Mm-hmm. So maybe the neighboring countries look at each other like, oh, there is that Yeah,
1: there's... I think every community has stereotypes of every other community. It's not... Mm-hmm. It's always... It's always something against someone else. It's, uh, no matter who you are, be it uh, you being from a different tribe or being from a different country, being from a different identity, there's always a certain stereotype. And like Maybe
0: within the borders of Sudan, because Sudan is such a big country, I can imagine the groups, the ethnic groups of the tribes have certain prejudice yeah, or stereotypes about each other. Maybe that's yeah. interesting too. Yeah, it definitely.
1: About. I mean, belonging to one tribe myself, and hearing sort of the interaction between family members for example uh or between friends what sort of jokes are floating around uh, about other people about other uh other groups you definitely notice that that well every group ha- has this preconceived notion of the other and can you maybe name an example uh not off the top of my head all right but Yeah, not off the top of my head, really, but because I I also don't want to be don't want to just say these out loud. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but definitely, every group has its own sort of in group bias, let's say. Yeah. And as soon as you bring up someone from another group, or you, for example, make any sort of connection with another group, whether it be through marriage, through friendship, through whatever all these stereotypes start coming out that, well, no, it's because it, it's very interesting because very often you, you see that, um, you can attribute someone, you can take someone's personal attributes or personal traits and attribute them to the tribe before you can attribute them to them personally. And that's very interesting. So for example, if you look at my tribe, um, my impression is that we're known as, uh being quite quite stubborn and quite sort of um I, I don't know how to describe it just sort of very steadfast and sort of uh-huh. stubborn uh yeah yeah people not v- really flexible and yeah but uh maybe maybe stubborn isn't the correct word but it's just very sort of uh go at it serious um masculine isn't even the correct word uh-huh. in this context sort of just very um honorable let's say the honorable warrior type of uh, of tribe yeah and and i've seen that also like uh come across in terms of my personal traits or the personal traits of my own family members is um especially when you have a family that has more than one tribe for example on both parents side that you i noticed that Whenever, for example, someone says, oh, you're being so stubborn, oh, it's because from that you're from that tribe. It's because, oh, you're such, uh, for example, so-and-so. And that's so interesting because, yeah, it, you kind of skip ahead sort of the individual in front of you and you just think that, well, they're like this because of their tribe.
0: Yeah, they attribute certain characteristics because they're part of that group. Yeah. So then you're more... Uh, a group member, then you are
1: that person. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely a, um, a bit of a, a bit of a gap between individual and community sort of identity. Yeah. And at least when it comes to Sudan, then we're still very much community oriented, and a lot of it is, uh, tribal, and a lot of it is religious, and all of that. So, uh, even when you think of, for example, I mean, when I was younger, and I would meet other people, other Sudanese people, some of the first things they asked me is, what tribe are you from? Really? And, yeah.
0: Where we would ask, what province are you from, for yeah. example? Or yeah. yeah, for yeah.
1: example, where you would ask someone else, where are you from? And, and then they say your name, and so on, and so on. They ask you, where are you from? I'm like, oh, what tribe is that? And I'm like, oh, so-and-so. Interesting. Yeah, so... And then they immediately have a judgment, maybe sometimes, or possibly, yeah, because they 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 might have already have this preconceived notion of who you are then in their head, because they think, well, this tribe is known for being so and so and so, and yeah, so yeah, it's it's frustrating sometimes, but it's also but also in- interesting in- encounter, right? Because you can yeah disprove it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Great. Yeah. Of course, stereotypes are. Uh,
1: Commonplace, right?
0: Yeah. And um, they're all over the place. Yeah.
1: But uh. they also extend beyond, I think. Though it's, uh, like I said, every group has a stereotype of the other. So the stereotype that I've seen, that you see amongst Sudanese people, is very different than the stereotyp- stereotype that you see of Sudanese people from other, let's say, Arab groups or other nationalities. Mm-hmm. And that's also different from the stereotype that you see, for example, of Euro- from yeah. the Europeans you have
0: stereotypes on different levels yeah you also you have cross national stereotypes you have cross continent stereotypes yeah. cross tribal and
1: then you have national and intracultural exactly yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, it's not uh, yeah like you said it's not really an external yeah. thing only yeah but definitely happens within a country
1: yeah I mean the stereotypes that I'd encounter of Sudanese people in Saudi Arabia are very different from the stereotypes that i encounter of from of uh Sudanese people amongst ourselves so yeah. what
0: for example people in saudi arabia wh- how do they see Sudan
1: it's definitely interesting it's uh complicated and it's also it's yeah it's very it's very confusing sometimes or very paradoxical because i I'm always under the impression that a lot of people in the middle east uh think very fondly of Sudanese people. And at least from what I know, uh, or from what I've heard from other people, is that the impression of Sudanese people is that they're hard workers. We're trustworthy. We're honest, and so on. We're very like honorable. Let's say is the is the word. Yeah. And so that's that's for example some of the first thing that someone would say to your face or something, or someone would um, would think of you. Mm-hmm. When when you just have the general idea of Sudanese people, that's the, that's a positive one, let's say. And then there's also a definitely, at least also unfortunately, a parody of Sudanese people that you see on Sudanese me- on Arab media, on TV, on film, on so on. That we are sort of backwards, moronic, sort of hillbillies in a sense. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh,
0: Le- less less intelligent than yeah they are?
1: yeah less intelligent. It's it it's it's a very sad sort of parody, a caricature, let's say, of Sudanese people.
0: But it, it, is it a joke that has for them some truth in it? Because we also make joke about Belgian people mm-hmm. the same way as Belgian people make jokes about us. Mm-hmm. Um, that they're uh, they're al- always in the joke. They always are the dumb one, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Uh, which I hope people realize that's not the case. Yeah, uh,
1: I don't know how that is. And I, it's it's that's how I said it's paradoxical because it's it's very interesting to have someone who has that impression, but then there are also people who have that other impression. So it's just, it's very strange because you you meet people and you don't know what idea of you they have. Do they think that you're this trustworthy, honorable? Uh, hard-working Sudanese person or th- or do they have this impression of you as a farmer hillbilly type well you'll find out soon enough yeah, right Yeah, you find out <laughs> in the conversation but and it's it's usually very easy to differentiate like uh, in, in terms of interaction but it's actually a, a huge problem that was highlighted especially during recently in the black lives matter movement because there was a there were repeated calls for a sort of more critical examination of Arab media and Arab film because you can see a lot of very famous actors in the Middle East who put on blackface, for example, to caricature Sudanese people. And of course, that's also very hurtful. And it also kind of ingrained a stereotype or a preconceived notion on such a wide audience. And... Unfortunately, still something people struggle with, that every year there's always a certain actor that puts on a black face, that puts on a Sudanese traditional uh, clothes and speaks or imitates a, a Sudanese accent. And yeah, they're ultimately more hurtful than helpful. Mm-hmm. But the fact that they persist, I think is a problem that needs to be addressed still.
0: And the other way around? For example, Sudan about Saudi Arabia, or to a lesser uh, degree,
1: it, it's uh, also uh, an interesting relationship of mm-hmm. it, uh, or an interesting idea of Saudi Arabia because a lot of people also view it as a place where you can have opportunity and a place that's familiar in a sense that's comfortable that has access to things that people value. For example, religious site the holy sites. So it's Mecca and Medina. So uh, it's a place that a lot of people think well of or they think fondly of as a place that you can settle and be comfortable in. But in recent times, that idea has been challenged more and more because of shifts, let's say, in the employment and social relationships in the Gulf and how they've impacted the, the diaspora and all the migrant workers there. So, I think it's always been a sort of vague relationship with the Gulf, because on the one hand, it's a place there where you can have opportunity, uh, but it's also a place where you end up leaving home, and you end up relying on a very sort of fragile relationship between your employer. uh, In a place that's it's not you don't have the same sort of job stability, or the the ability to sort of generate wealth the same way. So it it's bittersweet, I'd say. At least in in terms of my own experience, in terms of how I view um the place that I've called home for most of my life, mm-hmm. it's it's still very bittersweet. Because you ha- you you know that you it's never going to be home forever. Or it's not it's not going to be home in the long term. It could go in any moment. And that sense also sort of, and in that sense, it also makes you less attached or less. Uh, you idealize yeah. it a little bit less. Yeah. Yeah. I get
0: it. Yeah. So there's uh, one place you will keep on calling home, and that's only one place, I should say. I should
1: say. Yeah. I mean, yeah, and it's. Um, it it's also just you could say that there's a definitely a patriotic sort of argument that in the end this is your 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 home it's your blood it's where it's who you are and but it's very interesting that in the current times and in this for sort of very globalized era you still you're still not able to forge this identity that's truly globalized because there's generations of kids just like me in saudi arabia who didn't know anything else really who would go home also occasionally to Sudan, who were used to the lifestyle and the culture of Saudi Arabia, of the rest of the Gulf, and were forced to go back. And to a certain extent, it's, it's nice that you kind of go back to your home and you go back to where you're truly from, but there's also a difficult argument when you've really naturalized there, where you've kind of integrated into the culture and you're not you don't have the opportunity to fully develop that relationship so it's it's very difficult i'd say it's very nuanced nuanced yeah. the word
0: yeah yeah so you're you consider yourself
1: one of the lucky few lucky lucky i don't know because mm. um yeah i i don't know if i consider myself lucky to have been sort of forced to leave the country mm. that i've called home for most of my life true um
0: but you have a choice kind of
1: no no they did not have a choice in that matter oh no yeah
0: but i mean right now you have a choice right to to go back to stay here to go there yeah i mean to Saudi arabia
1: yeah i mean yeah definitely now i've had the privilege of being able to study abroad and that opened up career opportunities so hopefully maybe i can find an opportunity in San Diego but if I choose to ever go there again or somewhere else. Um, yeah, that's what I mean. The yeah, future yeah. possibilities The future possibilities bigger. for me, yeah. For And I definitely recognize I'm grateful for the fact that my parents made that sacrifice, even if it was cut short by any variety of reasons. I'm grateful for that opportunity and I'm grateful for what it means in terms of my future um, opportunities and where I can go. So... If you ask me now, would I move back to Saudi Arabia? I don't know. But it's definitely a place that holds memories. And then Sudan is also a place that holds memories for me. And both will be home. Both are still home. But in the end, one is really w- going to be where my heart is, you know? Yeah. Where my family is, where everything I care about really is. Really is. Well, in the meantime, you're... Uh... You're welcome here, obviously. Yeah. No, definitely Tilburg is my third home, definitely. The Netherlands is my it's great to be here. Yeah, it's 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 been welcoming, it's been great, it's been more than I could ever imagine already in terms of opportunity, in terms of Yeah, everything I was looking for. So I'm grateful to be here. Hopefully I can stay longer. Hopefully maybe I can find somewhere else, see what the next chapter holds. But yeah, then I'm credit where credit is due. The Netherlands is also home. <laughs> yeah. Well, I will uh, receive it on yeah. behalf of the Netherlands. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay, Omar. Uh, that was it. Mm-hmm. Um, how do I say uh, goodbye? Do
1: you, Do you speak Arab? Uh, Arabic, or? yes. Arabic. Arabic is the national language of Sudan. Arabic and English. Yeah. Interestingly. And how How would you say goodbye in Arabic? Ma'a salama. One more time, please. <laughs> so in formal sort of, yeah, uh, Like proper a, Arabic, you'd say close
0: enough. <laughs> <laughs> I'll
1: just leave it like this. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Thanks, man. Thank you very Bye. much. Bye. <laughs> Bye-bye.
0: That's it for today. Hopefully it was an interesting episode. For the next episode, I will stay on the African continent to talk to Itoroa from Nigeria. This country is nicknamed the Giant of Africa. Well, if that doesn't sound exciting, I don't know what does. See you.